Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. All right, folks, I'm going to encourage you to hang in there on this episode. It is chock full of all sorts of information. And I, I want to say pretty holistically, all things related to software as a medical device, um, certainly from an FDA perspective, lots of discussion about different guidances and, and information that's really important for you to be aware of if you're venturing into the software as a med device space, especially. My guest is David Pudwell, Mr. Regulatory. And he has a unique vantage point of, of being, you know, with formerly with FDA and, and knowledgeable about the nuances of software as a med device and aware of and very familiar with uh, all these guidance documents that are important. So enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host and founder, John Spear. And I had a little bit of a brain pause there from him. I'm like, what is this thing called? Which is so weird. Uh, I've been doing this for so long now, but I'm, I think I'm just excited about the topic we're about to dive into today. <laughs> and joining me is Mr. Regulatory himself, David Pudwell. David, welcome. Hey, it's great to be back. Absolutely. And I thought we can explore the nuances and some, I guess, details and tidbits and tips and pointers and just general information about this growing segment of the medical device industry known as software as a med device or SAMD or SAMD or however you say it. So what do you think? I know you probably have a lot of experience and knowledge about this topic. Yeah, it's something that I've been uh, diving more and more into, uh, you know, recently that even even uh, in my time at FDA, I, you know, spent a little bit of time uh, looking into this. So uh, so that would be good. I just want to, sure. you know, open, uh, though, by saying, uh, you know, a, a big thank you to you and uh, and everything that you guys are, are doing. And also uh, just uh, just a note to, to your audience that, again, uh, all of my opinions are my own and, and don't represent uh, my uh, current or uh, any former uh, employer. So, okay. um, but looking forward to, uh, looking forward to chatting with you. Sure. And, and folks, um, you know, of course, SAMD, this is a topic that we've covered from a, a few different perspectives at Greenlight Guru before, and, you know, certainly would encourage you to consume uh, previous podcasts and articles and content that we have. This is coming from a different perspective. Remember that, that David has uh, prior experiences with FDA. Uh, so hopefully we, we get some of that, that uh, regulatory uh, perspective through the conversation. Yeah. But David, I, th I think it's probably a good place to start is to remind folks what uh, SAMD is. And sometimes that's easier to do by describing what it is not. So yeah. however uh, take you want to go with that, maybe that's a great place to start. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, it, it, there, there was a lot of work. And I, I actually... Um, uh, some of my connection with this is, is, is I spent a little bit of time in the Office of Legislation at FDA, which gave me a unique perspective in, into some of this as 21st Century Cures was being developed. And um, as part of the Cures Act, uh, you know, we did see uh, that uh, you know, a, a number of software functions uh, got excluded under uh, section, uh, section 520. Uh, uh, part uh, part O, and um, so that definition in terms of functions 
uh, is independent of the of the platform that they run on. So FDA did a bunch of updates to some of their guidance documents to um, to accommodate that change in definitions around the function. That's that's not specific to let's say a, a mobile platform, but it's it's just specific to the to the function definition. And we can provide some, some links, uh, you know, I think to, to, to your viewers uh, look to, to put sure. some information out so that they can, they can go read, you know, maybe all of these things that'll put you to sleep. Uh, <laughs> if, uh, you know, be, a little bit of bedtime reading for your viewers, we'll, we'll make sure to get them some links and things, you know, and, and time that maybe, you know, uh, when this, uh, when this launches so that people can go, uh, go do Absolutely. their own reading if they want to confirm anything. But, uh, you know, there are there are a lot of standalone software functions as part of the Cures Act and 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 even predating that that are not medical devices or that uh, FDA does not intend to enforce the requirements for. So there's sort of two categories: this not a not a device, and then also it's a device, but FDA is not going to regulate it as a device at least for now, uh, based on you know sort of what they've what they put out and and published and. A really good resource to to start with and, and and think about this in terms of is the general wellness guidance that FDA put out, and, and they clarify uh, some some software and also some non software examples. and And one example that I think is really great um, as a sort of overall framework for thinking about um, how products are regulated. So it's a good reminder that FDA regulates products based on intended use. Um, and that's, uh, they, they give this example, it's example six, it's actually for a, a, a mechanical exfoliation device, but that's the, the really key example, I'd say, in that general wellness guidance uh, that, 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 that highlights this um, uh, regulation per intended use, which, is, which has been FDA's uh, approach to a lot of this. And, and it, it, it leads to some interesting situations at times where it's, it, it's not necessarily just the functionality, but it's also how you've labeled that functionality uh, that, uh, that matters. Both things are important. Yeah, and I, th- I think that sometimes uh, gets um, lost a little bit in, in not just as software or, or general wellness or just medical device in general. Sometimes I think yeah. folks lose the how important that that labeling and those claims are about that product. Uh, so I think it's really, really key to, to highlight that. Yeah. And, and then getting into, you know, definition. So, you know, so, so that's sort of what SAMD isn't. Um, and, and to some extent, what isn't a device even, you know, for, for, forget software, you know, even, but um, so, so then you get into FDA's definition of, of SAMD and they, they, they have, um, you know, a, a guidance document on um, uh, software as a medical device. It's, the, it's actually their um, SAMD, you know, guidance in terms of clinical evaluation. And that includes a, a really good definition for, um, for SAMD. And this was actually um, a, a document that was created uh, with IMDRF. And, um, yeah. and, and in that, the, the definition of SAMD uh, it's a little bit long-winded, but I'll actually read it if, if, you, if you don't mind. Yeah, go ahead. ASAMD can best be described as software that utilizes an algorithm that would be logic, a set of rules, or model that it, uh, operates on data input or digitized content to produce an output that is intended for medical purpose as defined by the SAMD manufacturer, that would be, you know, all the, hopefully, you know, a lot of your listeners and these, these, you know, companies that may be developing SAMD, 
And the risks and benefits posed by SAMD outputs are largely related to the risk of inaccurate or incorrect output of the SAMD, which may impact the clinical management of the patient. So it's, it's, a, it's a very much a risk-based approach that FDA has taken here. And those risks have, when, when you're talking about SAMD, are directly related to the output sort of considerations. So yeah. you know, I think there might be some nuance there. And if you get bad inputs, you know, you're going to get bad outputs, but the risk associated is all, always going to be linked to, you know, that, that, that output yeah. sort of consideration. I want to highlight a couple of things about that definition. The first is the term manufacturer. I, I speak with enough software companies that mm-hmm. they don't view themselves as manufacturers, you know, for that definition that usually throws yeah. them for a loop. Do you want to maybe elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, that that's going to be, you know, sort of the, the, the stock definition, I guess, uh, just or I guess that's going to be the, the the word that FDA uses to define somebody who makes a product that they consider to be a medical device. And in the context of software as a medical device, a software developer is is then a manufacturer in terms of FDA regulations. Right. The other thing that I, that I think can sometimes create confusion, and, and again, we're going to make I'm going to make the assumption that the the product, the device, is classified as a medical device. Yeah. A lot of medical devices contain or include firmware or, or some type of software. And I think the confusion is, oh, does that mean I'm SAMD? Can you maybe speak yeah. to that a little bit? Yeah. So that that falls into it that, that'll fall into a different category of of software in a medical device or SIMD. Um, and, and actually uh, you know FDA has had some pilot programs primarily focused on SAMD that based on some of the publications they've just put out, uh, they're looking to extend some of those programs uh, into the SIMD space as well. But I would think about them fundamentally differently because for a software as a medical device, you're, you're thinking again about those outputs being your primary risk to, you know, let's say to a patient. And, and that output is going to be like a digital output. It's going to be some information to a provider to, to potentially modify their treatment you know, decisions or to inform their, either their care for a patient. But the SIMD is going to be directly connected to a, a, a medical device. And the, the primary risks are going to be the risks of that device when you have the software in the medical device and it it gets a little bit hairy you know sometimes there there might be some software products that sort of fall into some in between spaces where you know you have to think about it in in sort of a hybrid uh, you know way but but that's how i would generally think about it is you know try try to separate that as software in a medical device your risks are if the software failed catastrophically what would be the risk of the device to the patient you know if the worst right. possible thing that it could do happened because it it failed, that's your risk categorization for the overall product. Whereas for the software as a medical device, your your worst case scenario is going to be what could that output do? And if that output was catastrophically wrong, what could somebody do with that information that would um, that would potentially harm a patient? I mean, you bring up an interesting topic, risk. Uh, and, and and let me, I guess, further elaborate. I mean, obviously, risk management is is a, a very important topic to um, for all medical devices. And, you know, of course, there's ISO 14971 that describes the process for medical uh, 
device risk management that is for for all intents and purposes. I know the current version of the standard is not technically harmonized um, per se, but but it's accepted as you know the best practice from that perspective. And and I think risk when you talk about like software and specifically like software as a med device can be somewhat of a confusing topic because you know the one of the the tenets or, or components of of risk as defined per 14971 is this this idea of probability of occurrence of harm and uh you know for some things i mean there is a you, you could estimate or either quantitatively or qualitatively the probability of something happening but but a lot of people who are, you know, in the software space say it's binary. Either it does or it doesn't happen. And and I think there's some, uh, we'll say confusion or some ambiguity as to methodology and tools and and yeah. things that should be done from a risk perspective. I know that, um, uh, and we'll talk about digital health here in a moment, but uh, the IMDRF and digital health, there's been quite a bit of guidance and, and even like with EUMDR, you know, like software classes and things like that. Can you, I, I know I'm putting you a little yeah. bit on the spot here, but do you have some context to, to point people to, towards or some, yes. some insights on risk when it comes to software as a med device? Yeah. So within, I mean, FDA has a relatively old guidance, let's say for, uh, that that's their, I believe it was 2005. I, you know, I could be wrong on, on the specific date there, but, uh, you know, FDA has, has, uh, in fact, actually in one of the, um, the, the guidance documents, uh, FDA, uh, really harkens back to, uh, I think it was the 1980s that they, that they identify in, uh, some of the history. Um, so, I think it's the the, the clinical decision uh, support software where, where FDA really identifies you know some history. Mm-hmm. They do it in a couple other uh, you know guidance documents um, you know as well. But uh, you know when when we look at the you know at the history here, uh, FDA's approach has been when it comes to software that you you, you categorize software risk let's say at least within the US and that's sort of the context I'm I'm looking at it though IMDRF brings a different framework into into play that FDA you know seems to be leveraging but looking at FDA's historical approach to this you have minor moderate or major risk software and usually that's tied to the risk of let's say the medical device for software in a medical device um, but when it comes to let's say software as a standalone that level of of uh, risk for the for the for the software, if it's a, or I, I should say, level of concern is the is the is the actual you know wording that FDA uses. So the level of concern for software could be minor, moderate, or or, or major. And for a software standalone a product, you, you're going to also you know sort of have that same kind of consideration about is it minor, is it moderate, and is it or or, or is it major? And what's going to drive that is going to be the uh, potential for, um, you know, for, for, for any issues. And it's not so much that FDA is going to look at the code itself and see, well, does your code do X or does it do Y? It's if, if things went catastrophically wrong, again, from a risk standpoint, assume it failed and assume that the output that you give a user is wrong and it's wrong in the worst possible way what would be the risk to the patient? And that's how you think about your, your, your risk categorization. And then you, and then you work on mitigating that and, and you, you need to deal with your software anomalies. But 
Um, you know, so software's um, software's a tricky thing. You know, sometimes uh, depending on how it's used, what other components may exist, or what its interface is, you know, things can go wrong in weird ways. You know, I, I've run into things where uh, you know you see just in your personal life a buffer overrun. You know, for instance, and you see some weird thing on a screen. You know, I spent spent a lot of time as uh, you know in in um, just as an engineer, you know, outside of even the medical device space, seeing, you know, how things can go wrong. Well, what's the risk of a buffer overrun in, you know, sort of a software on your home computer? It's, it's, you know, not, it's not a huge deal necessarily, though you want to fix it. But if you have that kind of a thing happen in, in a medical device, you know, that, that could be catastrophic. So these sure. sort of interplays of, of different software on a, you know, on a platform, you know, this is what FDA wants you to be thinking about. It's not just, you know, you've somehow perfectly designed, uh, you know, a software, but think about, you know, what, what's the actual risk. And, and again, that, that goes back to the intended use of the product. So if you, if you intend uh, the, the product to be used in, in, in a way where it is the decision-making um, sort of factor, then the risk is going to be much higher than if it's, um, is something that a patient uses to track, you know, information online that doesn't actually affect, you know, a treatment decision, let's say, you know, so, and then, so then that would fall out of even the software as a medical device uh, category based on FDA's definition. So they've already sort of tried to hone in on software as a medical device being the higher risk considerations, but even within that, your intended use, if you intended to support, you know, be the clinical decision support and what kind of clinical decision support uh, is going to change your relative uh, risk categorization in software as a medical device? Even. All right, folks, I want to remind you, I'm talking with David Pudwell. David is uh, also known as Mr. Regulatory, and I would encourage you to visit his site, mrregulatory.com, mrregulatory, all one word, no spaces, hyphens, or anything of that nature, mrregulatory.com. David also has an awesome YouTube channel, and I can't emphasize this enough. Uh, just go to YouTube, search for Mr. Regulatory. You'll quickly find the link to, to get to his channel. He's done quite a few episodes on lots of different guidances and processes um, uh, you know, that, that we deal with uh, or sometimes encounter when interacting with FDA. So it's a wonderful, wonderful resource as well. So I highly encourage people to go check out his YouTube channel, you know, do the subscribe, the thumbs up, all those sorts of things. But, uh, uh, you know, David, I, I think you looks like you're publishing uh, new episodes on your YouTube channel every few weeks or so. Uh, yeah. What is what has been, I'll put you on the spot on that. What has been your favorite episode on your YouTube channel so far? <laughs> uh... It was, it was actually something, uh, yeah, a recent, um, uh, the, I, I had, uh, done a review and I, I was, I, we'll see, I might do some more of these, but, uh, just to walk through how you can look at the PMA, uh, databases. And, uh, so I, I'd looked at one oh, particular wow, cool. PMA. I won't, I won't give a, I won't give a, you know, shout out to the company, but it was just, it was a well put together. Um, it was a well put together PMA. Uh, is a consulting uh, a group that, uh, you know, I know some of the folks who are there, they're, you know, ex-FDA people, uh, but I just come across it. It was one of the most recent PMAs and it, it was well put together and it had the enough features within, let's say, the, the PMA, some of the documents and, and things that it was a good, 
um, you know, is a good framework for me to, you know, explain how you can navigate the, uh, the FDA website and find out information about different PMAs. So that particular video, it's, a, it's, uh, it's about a particular, you know, PMA. It's the only PMA a video that I have that's not a guidance document, you know, specifically, but uh, I'm able to walk through how you can navigate. And so if you're looking to find information about, uh, about a particular device, you could use that as a, um, cool. you know, it's kind of, kind of a, uh, you know, a, uh, a template for how, how to go and look at FDA's website and some things that you can be, uh, some things you can be looking for and links you can, you can follow. So that, that mostly cause it was a little bit different from, uh, yeah. from all the rest of the videos. That, that, well, that's the one I would say. And, and, and folks, I mean, if I've been in this industry for, for, uh, over 22 years now and, I know more or less what I'm doing when I go to FDA website and I still get lost. So uh, <laughs> they keep changing the links, they, you know, they that's do. Part of the yeah. <laughs> and it's part of the problem, but, but getting an insider point of view on how to navigate and, and utilize because there's value, tons and tons of valuable information in the FDA databases, but sometimes you don't know how to extract or utilize that. So I would encourage you to check that out. And obviously we're talking a little bit about software as a med device today. Uh, you know, if, this is if if you're a med device company in general or SAMD company, either way, Greenlight Guru, we're here to help too. We have numerous customers all over the globe uh, who are software as a med device companies, as well as uh, the standard run of the mill medical device uh, companies as well. But regardless, we've built a medical device quality management system software platform that's designed specifically for the medical device industry, and you know we've designed it by actual medical device professionals. So definitely would encourage you to go to www.greenlight.guru to learn more about how the Greenlight Guru MGQMS might be a resource to help you navigate design, development, risk, document management, change management, quality events, and, and so on and so forth. So again, go to the website if you would like to have a conversation with us about that and, and express what your needs and requirements. We'd, we'd love to have a conversation with you. So. Let's get back to um, the topic at hand, David. Um, I'll, I'll I'll jump in. Over, yeah, sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Maybe, um, you know, with that IMDRF um, uh, framework, uh, let's say, uh, FDA, you know, has this SAMD uh, uh, guidance. And um, they, 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 talk about, uh, they talk about real world evidence and, and, and laying out a, a pathway for continuous learning and leveraging uh, real world performance data. And... Um, uh, that really ties into what we've seen FDA doing over the course of the last uh, three or so years now. You know, may maybe it's uh, three and a half uh, uh, years, but uh, FDA has put together this, uh, th this this pilot program, and it's been limited. Like I said uh, earlier, this this pilot program has been limited to SAMD, and this is the software pre-certification or pre-cert program. Um, and uh, you know, FDA is using that to inform their their development. Of, uh, of, of a future regulatory model that'll provide a more streamlined and efficient uh, regulatory oversight for uh, software-based medical devices that are developed by manufacturers who have uh, demonstrated a robust culture of quality and organizational uh, excellence. And, and the idea is to allow you to make more, um, uh, you, to, to make changes in, in the way that I think most software developers are a little bit more used to making those changes where you have this cascading set of modifications that you're making effectively in real time as you get information to, uh, to make those changes. And so FDA is, 
is trying to come into the modern era when it comes to software and how they think about that and how they think about software development. And, um, you know, in my time at FDA, uh, you know, I, I worked in um, the implantable electrophysiology devices uh, group uh, there. So that's pacemakers, defibrillators. And um, that's an area where there's, you know, this for software in medical devices, there's been a lot of this sort of consideration by the manufacturers where they're trying to figure out how do we make more rapid changes to software and, and figure out the submission strategies with FDA so that we can make sure that we're in, uh, uh, putting out uh, the, the best software updates for the products to keep patients, to, to keep users safe, and, and to make sure that they're getting the benefits, uh, the, the maximum benefits that the devices can offer. Um, you know, sort of, sort of along the lines of what we're already seeing in like the automotive space, you know, a push a real time update to your car and now you've got a new feature, you know? So, um, yeah. you know, that, that kind of thing is coming for medical devices and, and FDA is working on, um, you know, on some of that with medical device manufacturers. Yeah. It's, it's a, I think it's an exciting, really exciting program. Um, I, I know talking about, uh, uh, regulatory agencies and, um, progressive, innovative. Those sometimes those terms don't blend together <laughs> really that well. But <laughs> um, but I think the digital health program is one of those uh, progressive, innovative initiatives, and so much so that that uh, you know FDA, I guess, in a manner of speaking, has sort of doubled down on this and and yeah. actually making the digital health a center of excellence. Uh, yes. uh, and you know, there's there's a lot of great. Uh, information on the, the digital health site from FDA. And again, we'll provide a lot of, a lot of the things that David and I are speaking about today. We'll provide uh, links so that you can consume more information, even if it helps you sleep. But nonetheless, on the... Um, on the <laughs> if it helps you sleep, I don't think it's uh, considered SAMD. I think that falls into the... Uh, <laughs> falls into general wellness anyway. Well, that's uh, true, yeah. Depends on the claims you're making. Sorry, back to intended use. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what I, I like about uh, the digital health initiative, and, and you highlighted uh, some of the, the the tidbits that that I appreciate about it, is it's it's intended to really try to uh, adapt to how software is developed. Um, puts more emphasis, I think, on the 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 company's processes and methodology. Yeah. Not that the product at the end is is less important, but it's really about how the product is developed and managed and maintained through its life cycle. And I, I just think it's a really fresh approach. And frankly, I'm, I'm I hope it gains a lot more traction because I think that methodology has potential applicability to all medical devices. But you know, again, that's a whole different topic of conversation yeah. in and of itself. Um, yeah, and and this is the area where I think you know we're seeing real world evidence maybe you know used in a you know, in a very, um, you know, in a very positive way. And that's, you know, uh, you know, maybe uh, uh, a, um, a modification to, 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 I think, some comments I made. Maybe it was on the, uh, in our last conversation about, you know, how real world evidence is usually in addition to everything FDA would otherwise expect. This is the, this is the one area I can really point to where I think um, FDA is making strides to use real world evidence as the evidence to drive, you know, to drive modifications for, um, you know, for software. For sure. So just kind of thinking a little bit more about some different nuances, mobile medical applications. I know that this is, I've had some experience in the past on this. I mean, and this is one of those areas that's a little bit confusing to me as to, you know, what does it all mean? And 
Yeah. You know, is, <clears throat> does this mean my product is is uh, regulated or not regulated and that sort of thing? So, yeah. what uh, insights do you have on on things related to mobile medical app, uh, applications? Yeah, and, and as we mentioned, you know, FDA actually uh, modified their um, you know their guidance to to, to focus on. Uh, uh, device software functions and mobile medical a- applications because of that uh, 21st Century Cures uh, Act uh, uh, language that, that that really pushed um, that really pushed on uh, the, the software function uh, definitions. But you know we see that uh, you know that there's FDA has a guidance on this. It's uh, it's their uh, policy for device software functions and mobile medical applications, and it, it really gives a nice uh, high level overview of the the regulatory history and highlights the functions that are the focus of uh, of, of FDA regulatory uh, oversight and it also provides some some really helpful examples of what is or or what isn't um, you know within that um, you know FDA uh, focus for 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 regulatory oversight and I'd, I'd say there there are three key areas and this is direct from the from the guidance document FDA highlights uh, software functions that are an extension of one or more medical devices uh, connected for the purpose of controlling the device or analyzing medical device data. So that's the first area. The second area is around software functions, typically mobile apps, that transform the mobile platform into a regulated medical device by using attachments, display screens, or sensors, or by including functionality similar to those of currently regulated medical devices. And, and this then falls into that. It's like if you take your mobile phone and you turn it into something that would normally, let's say, historically be a medical device. That's, that's that second category. And then the third category that are the, the focus of, of FDA's oversight are software functions that become a regulated medical device by performing patient-specific analysis and providing a patient-specific diagnosis or treatment recommendations. And, and these types of functions are, are similar to or perform the same functions as, as software devices that have been previously cleared or, um, or or approved, and so you've got these three major categories. And again, like I said, that's just verbatim, and there's more information in the guidance itself. But those are the three key areas of, of FDA's oversight when it comes to let's call them mobile medical apps, or it could be in another in another application, another form just as, as some software function. So whether it's on a desktop, whether it's on a mobile phone, whether it's on who knows what, what device, it's the function that drives um, what it is that FDA's uh, oversight and uh, regulatory authority is going to be. All right. I think one of the other, uh, sometimes, at least for me anyway, confusing segments or things that are sort of under the SAMD umbrella is clinical decision support software. And, mm. and the, the reason it's a little bit confusing is from my perspective, it seems like there's been a lot of, um, uh, I guess, development, a lot of companies developing applications and, and software in this particular space. And I think that's maybe been a little bit exacerbated in some respects because of the global pandemic. But um, we'll, I guess clear the air or, or maybe highlight some of the the, the the important points about clinical decision support software. Yeah. So again, FDA has got another guidance document. We'll have to link for lots of guidance. Yeah. Lots <laughs> of guidance on software. It's, it's like an avalanche and, and you know, of, uh, of, of information. Then there's some web pages where there's some, some useful information. Uh, there's some links, uh, you know, I, IMDRF is, uh, sort of the, the, 
the the framework that that has been developed uh, with uh, IMDRF, and I should say that's the International Medical Device Regulator uh, Regulators Forum. So the the International Medical Device Regulators Forum is IMDRF for anybody who I, I I'm it's a occupational hazard having been a former government employee that I I just throw out acronyms and uh, you know yeah, uh, hopefully not hopefully not confusing too many people with that but you know clinical de- uh, decision support or CDS <laughs> you know again more acronyms. another acronym yeah <laughs> you know. Um, uh, so for CDS, FDA is, is encouraging developers of, of uh, clinical decision support software functions uh, that are um, uh, not medical devices or are medical devices uh, that FDA does not intend to enforce uh, uh, compliance with, uh, you know, with the requirements to implement a, a quality system. So no, whatever kind of clinical decision support you're doing, FDA's encouragement is first and foremost, implement a quality system consistent with IMDRF's uh, software as a medical device, um, sort of, uh, uh, they, they, they have a quality management uh, uh, system um, uh, gui- guidance, or it's a, there, there's a link we'll, we'll yep. provide to people on that. Um, and uh, to, to make sure that you're applying good uh, cyber hygiene. So this is something that FDA is really focused on. Uh, you know, even at the, there, there was a, a session on this, if you remember, at um, uh, the uh, Re- uh, Regulatory Alliance uh, Forum, uh, yeah. uh, you know, event earlier this year, talking specifically about how to think about cyber and some of these considerations. And so this has been a longstanding concern of FDA, uh, really, really thinking about software design and cyber vil- uh, vigilance. Um, and, you know, there's, there's a lot of regulatory history uh, here. And, and the, the expectation is that you're applying a, a risk-based uh, policy for, uh, for clinical uh, decision support uh, functions. And, and, and that's, that's most of what I'd say about that. But, you know, I, you know, I will say, um, you know, there, there, there's also some really good information uh, around this. And, and, and what I would point people to for, um, you know, for thinking about, uh, a software is, is also just thinking about uh, changes to, um, you know, to software as well. And uh, there, there, there's a good when to, when to submit a 510K if, if your product happens to fall into that uh, category as, let's say, software as a medical device. Um, then, and this, that guidance is applicable for this. There's a really great flowchart on, on page 10. Now, FDA will tell you, and I will tell you, use the accompanying text. Don't just use the flowchart. This is one of the pet peeves of FDA with all the guidance documents they put yeah. out. They put together a nice flowchart that actually is really great. It helps you with your, you know, with, with, with uh, thinking through things. But then people don't necessarily always uh, uh, look at the accompanying uh, uh, detail in the text, sh- telling them how they should or shouldn't use the flowchart. So, uh, you know, occasionally people use the flowchart in ways that are wildly unacceptable in FDA's uh, mind, <laughs> right? And so, so I would just encourage you to read the rest of the text, but the flowchart is great. The flowchart is a really great resource to think about, you know, uh, how you walk through, you know, a change. And I, you know, it's, it's the, the visual is really something you, 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 you want to see. Um, I won't, I won't walk through it. It's, it's probably way too much to go through, uh, you know, verbally and, and especially as our, uh, as our time is short, but I would point you to that, that, that guidance and that flow chart are really helpful for thinking through 
some of the things about changes. And, and the reason I would point you to that as well is even when you're doing development, uh, having that kind of a framework for how you're planning out your changes and where you want to start with your SAMD. Because usually with, with software as a medical device, you have a set of features you want to get to sort of in the final analysis. And it's helpful if you know how you're going to make modifications or what's going to need a, a regulatory submission so that you can bucket maybe those changes into, here's what we can implement right now, maybe uh, in an un, uh, in a, in a enforcement discretion or a not a medical device product. And then we can expand that functionality into the medical device space and submit a 510K. And here's what's going to you know, be needed for that. But think about that functionality and then additional functionality that you may be able to add without submitting a 510K. Because the, the, there are some additional changes you could make or regular uh, routine um, you know, updates around security and, 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 and things like that for the software itself that are going to fall into this note to file uh, uh, category. And so really understanding that uh, time course of, of, of where you're looking to get to. So if you look at the, 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 the final uh, product, and then you can sort of parse out which pieces of that maybe you could do under a note to file, you can focus your efforts on those functionality pieces that one, you can start with maybe on, you know, not regulated as a 510k required medical device, then move into the category of getting that additional functionality that is that does require a 510k and maybe multiple 510ks in series, depending, but, you know, really map that out. And then those functions that either are intermediate updates between major 510k submissions that you would add additional functionality that doesn't require a 510k based on FDA's guidance, or that you would maybe add, you know, sort of on the back end as nice to have features or, or routine, routine kind of maintenance of the software. Yeah, I think one of the things that you said uh, that I think is really, really key that that I, I want to emphasize uh, for listeners is um, do your homework early. Uh, yep. I think a lot of times, you know, David has highlighted and mentioned quite a few different guidance documents, and yeah, it can probably seem overwhelming. And you know, <laughs> each of these guidances, uh, um, well, I mean, they're written in generally speaking in regulatory speak. Yep. Um, you know, some of them do have flowcharts and the flowcharts are helpful, but to David's point, don't just take the picture and, and yep. think that you have knowledge and understanding, you know, read the accompanying text that goes into some more depth and explanation, but do your homework early. I mean, uh, I, I, I'm speculating or I'm, I'm probably generalizing here, but, but my experience suggests that a lot of, of SAMD companies are probably software developers first uh, and yep. medical device, or they may even view themselves this way, software developers first, first. and medical device companies second. Yep. Um, but the, if your product is going to be a medical, classified as a medical device, it is your responsibility to understand the regulatory uh, nuances and framework and, and expectations yep. and that sort of thing. That's why you know doing your homework early in, in the development of, of your software is important so that you understand how to navigate this. And, you know, if you are that company that is, uh, you know, newer to regulation and, and trying to navigate all of this, you know, feel free to reach out to Mr. Regulatory. Go to mrregulatory.com uh, and his YouTube channel to learn more. You can also reach out to 
us at Greenlight Guru would be happy to help you navigate that. We also have uh, a pretty prolific list of partners, uh, resources, consultants, etc. who have a lot of experience navigating the, these processes. So, you know, do your homework, reach out. It's okay to ask for help. In fact, I highly encourage it because nothing is worse than getting to where you think is the end of your journey or your go-to-market step and, and discovering that eh, you really have, have only just begun because you neglected or, or, or trivialize what was expected yeah. or what's going to be expected uh, from you from a regulatory perspective. So I guess, yeah. David... Yeah, go and ahead. It's definitely, it's definitely a pay now or pay later kind of consideration. And usually, if you if you pick the pay later, it'll be a lot more. So, so just just keep that in mind as well. You can you can usually. Uh, uh, I, uh, I like the, um, the, 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 the there's a quote, and I, I don't know who it's attributed to, but uh, uh, this idea that agony is conserved. So uh, that you know the agony you uh, you know you, you you handle on the front end. To, you know, to try to, um, you know, uh, figure things out on the back end is, is going to benefit you. Um, and, and so really thinking about that specifically when it comes to uh, your quality system and any documentation about the software, because, um, you know, that, that's going to save you a lot of headaches because it's easier to document something, even if it's, if, even if it's not as robust as, you know, may, maybe it ought to be uh, as you're doing some of this early development before you hit that medical device categorization, it's going to be a lot easier to go back if you have something. Now, I'd recommend you have more than less and you make sure that you're, you know, as compliant, uh, that, that you're going to be in compliance, let's say, as you know, as you move forward. But um, it, it's going to be a lot more work to get compliant if you're trying to become a medical device, if you haven't been keeping this. But if you know you're yeah. going to be a medical device, it's, it's going to be easier to keep track of some of this stuff, you know, as you go than trying to all of a sudden say, oh, no, now what do we need to do and develop and yeah. 100%. David, any final thoughts before we wrap up the conversation today? I uh, just just want to uh, say a big thank you uh, you know again to you and and all the all the good work that you guys are uh, doing in um in 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 making sure that people are thinking about these uh, th- these kinds of things early and providing some tools that make it uh, less agonizing uh, for people to deal with some of these uh, these kinds <laughs> yeah. of challenges. Um, you know, but, but just, uh, you know, final, final thoughts is there's a lot of really great resource out there. Uh, don't hesitate to, um, you know, to go, uh, peruse the, the FDA, uh, uh, website and FDA has said in, in some recent guidance that just came out as well, that, um, they're still taking pre-submission, uh, uh, um, uh, Q-subs. So go ahead and, you know, I would highly encourage anybody who's thinking about, uh, uh, moving in this direction at some point, even if you're not software as a medical device now, really think about putting together a pre-submission uh, package and, and going into FDA, even if that's just to inform them about where, where you're at, the more you can get in front of, of FDA and familiarize them with your device early on, the more comfortable they're going to be later on when, when, when you're having the real interactions to get a product uh, clearance, maybe under 510K, et cetera. Uh, through. So, so I would just advise people, you know, be engaging with FDA, put stuff in early uh, to them. And, and the other little tidbit I would, I would give people is find a picture. It, it doesn't have to be a picture of the device. I mean, software as a medical device is sort of unique because you yeah. don't have a picture of the device itself, but maybe of a screen or of <clears throat> some kind of architecture that you think is going to be consistent throughout the life of the product. Find an image that, that FDA can lock in on 
and put that into a pre-submission and make sure that image stays in future submissions. I saw some companies when I was at FDA do this really well. And FDA reviewers look at so many submissions that if you can give them a visual cue that they can lock, lock or latch onto, that's going to be really helpful for them to get back up to speed. You don't always have the same reviewers, but uh, oftentimes, you know, if, if you do, it's going to save you a lot of headaches. They're going to remember, oh, that's this product that I saw a couple years ago. I remember. Um, and, and so that's going to be really helpful. If you can give FDA some sure. visual cues, um, you know, for, um, you know, for your products, that, uh, that, that would be the other piece of advice is, you know, do the Q-sub um, and, uh, and, and, and look to find some way to, um, you know, to really uh, uh, give them some information and, and give them good information in there about how, how everything's architected so that they can feel comfortable with what it is that you're doing. Uh, you know, don't overshare with FDA a whole bunch of stuff that, um, you know, you don't need to, but, but you know, definitely don't be afraid of going to FDA and, and asking sure. questions as you, as you move forward in this process. For sure. I, I think I'm glad you mentioned that. I mean, folks, I, I am a huge, huge fan of, of the QSEB or pre-submission process. Uh, I think it's really helpful, uh, especially for, for a lot of software as a med device. Um, and you know, to David's point, you know, paint a picture, you know, draw a, an architecture diagram or something of that nature. You, you don't need a ton of data and information to qualify for preparing for a pre-submission yeah. it's a relatively simple process yes there is some effort it, on, your, on your behalf to, to do so but i think it's invaluable for you to, as you're trying to navigate your journey so definitely check that out david thank you so much uh this has been a, a wealth of information folks i know we, we we've got a lot of guidances and links that we're going to provide you it's, it's a lot of information don't be discouraged Realize that this is all of these guidances. They're um, uh, they're intended to be helpful, and, and they're also intended to help provide you insights and background and and supporting information so that you can understand um, perception and 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 application from a regulatory point of view. So these are all uh, intended to be helpful from that perspective. Uh, again, folks, I encourage you check out the work that David Pudwell is doing. Go to to mrregulatory.com. Go to his YouTube channel, subscribe. That way you can be notified of all the new episodes on on some of the finer points of, of navigating FDA guidances, processes, what have you. As always, thank you for being loyal listeners of the Global Medical Device Podcast, the number one podcast in the medical device industry, and that's because of you. So thank you. Continue to spread the word with your friends and colleagues. And as always, this is your host and founder at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. You have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast.